Hello, my fellow fallible humans. This is the Red Roof Recovery Show, an addiction recovery program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. And it's not just for addictions, it's for life. My name is Tanya McIntyre. I'm here with you every week to share my experience around my own recovery from drugs and alcohol. And I created Red Roof Recovery to provide not only a unique program for residential recovery, but to also develop a relapse prevention program to mostly help myself. And these programs are based on the principles of rational, emotive, and other cognitive behavioral therapies, along with various other tools of therapy, because there are literally hundreds of tools of therapy. The key is to find something that works for you, because we are all different animals and we are going to respond differently to the different tools that are available out there. So just keep looking, and when you find more of it, grab onto that and do more of it. On this episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show, Sir Lancelot is back. Uh, Lance is my husband of 30 plus years. He has lived through my addictions with me, thankfully, and has recently become a student in the SMART certification program. He's going to be a fellow facilitator. SMART is an acronym for Self-Management and Recovery Training. It's an addiction recovery program based on rational, emotive, and other cognitive behavioral therapies. And I have been a SMART facilitator since 2018. It's a program that has helped me remain abstinent from harmful substances and behaviors. So Lance and I are going to be talking about communication, communication. but first I think you want to touch on acronyms and how annoying you find them. I do. I find... <laughs> I just don't understand why people use acronyms. Well, I can tell you from a writing point of view that acronyms save a little bit of time. Not a lot, but a little. And for me, um, I think because I'm probably an undiagnosed ADHD or whatever... Um, and I'm a visual learner, and we all learn differently. So for me, acronyms really help me remember. For me, no. Okay. I. Because you, you had you, hundreds of acronyms in the corporation, the most me, recent corporation that you... You told me an acronym, and I'll forget it in a few minutes. Yeah. And it brings to mind a story of a supervisor of mine was sitting in a meeting at the corporation I worked for, and the person giving a talk spouted out this acronym and Mike put up his hand and said excuse me I said the what does that actually stand for and the person said well um uh, I don't really know and this is the thing about acronyms is as a communication standpoint you're presuming that everyone in the room knows what you're talking about so what I've observed in the meetings that I've been in where people spout an acronym is they say the acronym what you're got there ear and then say the words afterwards so you're doubling the effort the effort <laughs> for no reward right because you can't presume that everyone in the room knows what you're talking about but if you then if you mention it again in conversation then you're only using the acronym assuming that now that you've explained what the acronym is you only have to say it <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to repeat yourself over and over and over again with this acronym. Which, well, everybody okay. says, you know, smart. I'm with smart recovery. Oh, smart. What's that? Well, it's an acronym that stands for self-management and recovery training. So it's more explanatory. And it's also smart for me. 
Because you'll often hear me say that AA, 12, a common 12-step program in addiction recovery, AA saved my life and SMART gave me my life back. So, yeah. So, re- uh, when I was at a corporation, and if you want to hear it, I, I wrote a little something that showed the absurdity. I think it's funny because I think you're a brilliant writer as well. You're a poet and you don't know it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> let's let, hear it. Let's have a go. Okay. An acronym is supposed to save time, but never does in your world or mine. Every time I use these letters in brackets behind to un- the words to understand better, from SHO, shift handover, and BDA, breakdown analysis, to MOR, monthly organization report, and BOM, bill of material, we think we have a handle on them. But as far as from being the truth, <laughs> there are so many of of us to use. Think CIB, Carnation Instant Breakfast, or BET, Business Executive Team. It's still not making much sense to me. And what about CSDC, Channel Sales Development Champion, or COQM, Central Operations Quality Management? Who the hell uses them? All this is making my head split. I I may need a HBDM, Hospital Business Development Management, to help me sit and get my head around the hundreds of acronyms I have found. I've looked into MDR, Master Data Repository, to help me find what the acronyms are. But the more I delve, the more I concede ADRP, Disaster Recovery Plan, or MDR, Master Drug Grocery, is what I really need. So I give up and will not use any acronyms to communicate and confuse. The use of full words seems to make sense to me. No more APO, Administrative Penalty Order, or Advanced Planner Optimizer, or Advanced Planning Optimization, or (laughs) EBITDA, Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, Depreciation, Amortization. I will, will I use, because all they do is confound and (laughs) (laughs) abuniate, be cloud and obscure. Oh, out of home. I think a ACU, asset under construction, laugh at LOL. <laughs> so when I asked for a list of acronyms from the corporation I work for, I was given 270 that I found the acronyms I used. And I said to the person, that's a lot of acronyms. They said, oh, that's page one. There was almost a thousand acronyms. And in communication, it's a thousand acronyms because you have to presume that everyone in the corporation knows what these acronyms are. Which is, again, I just don't find it a a good communication tool. Well, thanks for sharing that. That was very funny. That was my worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're going to be using another acronym right now to talk about communication. (laughs) E-A-R. Uh, It's actually Five Secrets of Effective Communication, and it was created by Dr. David Burns, one of my favorite people. You'll hear me talk about him often. Uh, Dr. Burns is one of the pioneers in cognitive behavioral therapy. He's written a couple of books, uh, one of my favorites, Feeling Good. And you can learn more about Dr. Burns on his website, feelinggood.com. So this acronym is E-A-R. E stands for empathy. A stands for assertiveness. R stands for respect. However, 
there are five secrets to this. This ear is just to um, help you remember. <laughs> so the E for empathy, the disarming technique. It's find truth in what the other person is saying, even if it seems illogical, self-serving, distorted, or just plain wrong. And then we have thought and feeling empathy. You summarize what the other person just said. That's thought, empathy. And then you acknowledge how they are probably feeling given what they just said. So that's not assuming, right? You want to be as word for word as you can. You acknowledge how they're probably feeling given what they just said. That's feeling empathy. And then inquiry. You use gentle probing questions to learn more about the, what the other person is thinking and feeling. And then the A is assertiveness. And that is to use I feel statements. You express your own feelings and ideas openly according to this formula. For example, I'm feeling X, Y, Z, whatever. Refer to any of the wide variety of feeling words. I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling attacked. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling sad. And then the R, respect. The affirmation you convey warmth, caring, and respect even in the heat of any disagreement. So it sounds relatively simple, but very, very difficult to practice a lot of times because we're dealing with heightened emotions in most communications. Especially when we're talking to someone we like or we love. Mm -hmm. Because there are a number of, from my point of view, there are a number of factors going on there that you don't want to upset the person you're talking to mm -hmm. because you like them and uh and you don't want to be attacked by them if you put something undiplomatically so therefore we tend to put stuff off try to tell half truths to smooth things over which is never a good form of communication i mm. i think well, and then we've got the old adages that we grew up with. Some things are better left unsaid. I think that depends on the person. Right. If you're the type of person that can walk away, have a think, and if it's upset you, you can go back and try to communicate using some of the techniques you're talking about. But if you're not that type of person, that you can let it go. Mm. And say, okay, it's not worth my time and effort, and just let it go. Because if you... What most people do, in my experience, is they'll store that little bit of resentment in a little box in the back of their, and they'll just keep adding to it until one day some insignificant little something will happen with that same person, and suddenly that box is flung open, and stuff from years ago will come flying out, and the other person's going, well, why didn't you communicate this to me? Yeah, Absolutely. So you're really good at doing that. You don't box things away. And I've known you for several decades now. So I think I'm qualified to say that uh, I give you credit for the success of our relationship because I, you know, you, you've, you've, <laughs> you've noticed that my tendency is to be, the, what do you call me? The wrecking ball at a demolition. Yeah. And I just full steam ahead. And I don't engage my mind before you, my mouth a lot of you times. React. You react. I react respond. instead of respond. So what I'm grateful uh, to be immersed in cognitive behavior therapy because it, it teaches me things like 
learning these acronyms to remind me. So another one of my favorites is STOP. And when I think of STOP, I th this big red stop sign flashes up in my mind's eye. And it reminds me to stop. The T is for take some breaths, however many I need. Normally it's two or three. Deep. And that gives me time then to, O, observe, and then P, proceed. So if I can just remember to take those few extra seconds, chances are I'm going to get a better outcome. And, and the outcome that I, I would prefer to have, of course, is the more positive one. And it's all about practicing that pause. And for me, it's that big stop sign that flashes up in my mind's eye to remind me, okay, stop, take some breaths, observe, and then proceed. Yeah. And you, you're reacting to your perception. Oh, always. There's a, there is no reality, only perception. No. Mm -hmm. So there have been several occasions while we've been doing up our old house and I have a, a thought about how something should look and I explain it the way I think is quite simple and everyone should understand and you just go I don't know what you're talking about now from my point of view I've explained it very simply <clears throat> excuse me that I feel anyone should be able to understand now if you're talking about feelings and stuff like that and I'm explaining something from my point of view that is, I think, very basic. Right? That's not to, one shouldn't assume that you're taking it in the same way. Mm, oh, yeah, let's go into the assumptions then that we can make around cognitive distortions and unhelpful thinking patterns Yeah, that we all fall into. I think that's the biggest one, mm -hmm. that we, we assume we're communicating well when we're assuming the other person is taking it the way that we meant it. Absolutely. Um, and this is a creation of Dr. David Burns as well, although it's been adopted by psychology people everywhere. I see it all the time now. But it was Dr. David Burns who came up with these uh, most common cognitive distortions. And I don't even like that term, cognitive distortion, because I think, you know, cognition is subjective. When we're having thoughts, uh, they certainly don't seem distorted or irrational at the time. So I prefer to think of them as unhelpful thinking patterns. And I actually have this on a template, so feel free to email me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com and I will send that to you. It's very helpful when you are analyzing your thoughts and approaching a situation that you've been procrastinating around, um, wanting to communicate a, a, a difficult situation. It's really, really helpful. It has been for me. So the first one is overgeneralization, which we all tend to fall into that category. All or nothing thinking is another one. Hmm. Mental filter. So a lot of these cross-pollinate here. Um, so again, it's it's how you are perceiving and how you're interpreting things. Mental filter. Uh, disqualifying the positive. Kind of the same thing uh, when we spend all of our time focusing on the five negative things that may have happened and discounting the one or two positive things that have happened to us. All of our attention goes on the negativity which feeds that negative narrative, I call them the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that keep running nonstop in a loop in our head and never shut up. Well, that's human nature because pain hurts and we all remember pain. That's how we survive mm. from being children. We're told several times, don't touch the stove, it's hot. But we have to touch it to find out And in the end you touch it and it's hot <laughs> and you don't do it again. Right. Mm-hmm. 
because we remember the pain. Pleasure is a totally different thing. Pleasure is a feeling that we don't dwell on as much. And you're right, we should do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think people take drugs for one of two reasons, to kill pain or increase pleasure, often both. And, uh, you know, then it just, we, we deaden our, our chemical processing, that, that uh, ability to create dopamine more naturally, and we're getting these uh, unnatural dopamine hits from hmm. addictions. So, yeah, that's another story. That's another show. So now um, let's get back to our unhelpful thinking patterns. Emotional reasoning. Uh, two of my favorites, shooting ourselves and masturbation. So, you know, I should have done that. Uh, you must do this. Uh, personalization, taking everything personally. Frustration, intolerance. Awfulizing. Jumping to conclusions, mind reading and fortune telling. Labeling and mislabeling. And then magnification, that's catastrophizing and minimization. So those are 10 of the most common unhelpful thinking patterns that we all fall into. And rational emotive behavior therapy has taught me uh, to examine those thoughts. So to direct rational analysis inward instead of, uh, you know, exerting all of uh, my, my frustrations outward. One of the two of the things that jump out to what you said last is the the shooting and the masturbation. Masturbation, yeah. The masturbation. Mm -hmm. Is that I think they're two separate things. The shooting is, for me anyway, is an internal thing. I should have done this. I should have done that. Mm -hmm. It's very rarely directed at, say, you. You should do this. Oh, I, I think it's a lot of people externalize that to you. Sh you should have done that. You should have said this. You should be exercising more. You should be... Uh, reducing your sugar intake. We do that to people all the time. But uh, I think part of my my journey with you is the realization that, and it started, I think, with my ex-wife. I realized that there was nothing I could do in a relationship that was going to make her happy. And then with you, with your addiction problem, I realized that there was nothing I could do to stop you drinking. So the you should do doesn't work it just doesn't you just upset people and it's never going to work which is the must now that is that is an external thing from my point of view is you must do this mm -hmm. that's more of a the should i've for me is an internal thing that didn't well that, that didn't go well i should have done it this way or when we have a discussion and yeah, it doesn't go well. I should have listened more, or I should have done this. Because the must, well, she should have done, she must have done something wrong. Like, again, that's, that's a perspective. Mm -hmm. That's my perspective. Well, the whole perception projection thing keeps coming back all the time. Yeah, and this is why the, the whole thing of taking the breath within communication if something upsets you upsets you or you feel attacked the the reaction is to go on the offensive which is just gonna exacerbate things and defensive as well it's offense 
defense. Yeah, if you feel hurt, you're, yeah. your defense is to... Defending our position. Yeah, we all know, you know, when you've said something unkind to someone, even if you didn't mean it, the normal reaction is for them to say something unkind to you. Mm-hmm. And then you get hurt, and then both you're both hurt, and that's never a good place to proceed with any type of communication. And then resolving it becomes another challenge. Mm-hmm. So rationally motive behavior therapy has taught me that I can't enforce my demands on people or the world. Um, I can become frustrated and angry enough to let that lack of control fuel my addictions, or I can adapt a new belief around the situations that will help me stay sane and sober. So that's choosing unconditional acceptance, not only of myself, but also others and life. Unconditional ever acceptance. Yeah, it's a, it's a daily, daily. It's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially to make it unconditional, right? Because there's, we put conditions on everything. I will like you as long as you behave the way I, I need you to and want you to. So that's a condition. Yeah. So how do we get to unconditional acceptance? That's a, Can there ever be total unconditional acceptance? That's a good question. Because we all have, we all have standards. We all have things we like and dislike. And if you have someone in your life that, yeah, you know, you like or even love, and they repeatedly do something that goes against your standards or your morals. What do you do? Do you lower your standards, give up your morals, or do you say, I can't accept this person anymore in my life? Mm -hmm. Or do you find a compromise? Yeah. But again, it only works if you're willing to compromise. Right. But if if it's something that you feel extremely strongly about, morally, shall we say, and the person just will not adhere to your moral standard, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And again, moral standards, subjective and ever-changing as well. Yeah. Some. You've been deceived in our relationship. I'm not sure that's something I could have lived with in a relationship. Yeah, but that's something that you couldn't live with. Right. If, If you'd had an affair then we wouldn't have been together because that's something I couldn't live with. Right. You were deceiving yourself more than you are deceiving me. hmm So it's the condition of what kind of lie? <laughs> Always. Right? Yeah. So you're able to, um, to receive things that, uh, you know, go against your grain, but you don't compartmentalize and save them for a rainy day and let the resentments build and then when the box opens it just becomes a flurry of emotions and accusations and resentments no that was that was something that was in my past mm-hmm. so how did you get to that space to be able to do that can you teach it to me please <laughs> <laughs> I want to it's, it's, that. It's, it's taken a lifetime of realizing that if, if you cannot forget about it, you have to deal with it. So if there's something that comes up and I think this is going to be a deal breaker, then, then it has to be dealt with. And if I don't think it's a deal breaker and it's going to cause 
turbulence in a relationship that may be good, maybe not, and I I feel like it's it's not worth it. That's my choice, and if it, it's my choice not to confront it, then it's my choice to forget about it because it should be confronted there and then, mm. not put in a little box to open up something a lot later. When when you'll turn around and think, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Because you've forgotten about it, because it's not affecting you. It affects the person with the little box. Yeah. The other person that you feel slighted against has forgotten about it. Mm. So it's been, a, it's been a journey of many decades of realizing that the only person I can control and the only faults I can control are mine. It's interesting uh, that um, things like autism, right? There's where there's no emotional filter. Um, it's helped helped me a great deal being around Tyler. So uh, I have we have a special needs nephew. He has Williams syndrome, which is a neurodevelopmental disorder that will affect him mentally and physically for the rest of his life. He's you know the life expectancy wasn't that great when he was first born, but now he, it's pretty much normal. Um, but the sad reality is that he he's going to outlive us, right? So we needed to make arrangements to make sure he was going to be cared for in his adult life, which is never an easy thing to do as a family. But we were very lucky uh, to have found an organization called Elmira District Community Living, and they integrate special needs adults in communities, in residential communities. And then he because you know his he has a great quality of life now he's part of the community and it's a wonderful uh, staff and small group homes so he's living with four other guys his roommates really a uh, wonderful environment for him but i learn so much from him when i'm around him because he says things that are just the way it is mm-hmm. right and it's just so enlightening sometimes but on the flip side, that with Tyler, you can't offend him. Right, yeah. You know, if you say, what are you wearing that for? I go, because it fits. Right. Like there, there is no... Or your shirt's on inside out. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. and? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that about him. Yeah. So, yeah. It's important to you, not to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a nice way to live. Sure is. I'm not sure the whole of society could do it. <laughs> And we bottle that and sell it. Absolutely. So five secrets of effective communication. And it is just an ongoing skill that we, you know, keep immersing ourselves with and learning it. So it's ear, empathy, assertiveness, and respect. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. The key now is to practice it and be persistent. Persistence. (laughs) It's the only way things work. Thank you lots a lot. As always, I love our 30 minutes together. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being here, uh, spending 30 minutes of your time with me. I really appreciate it. A couple of books I want to share with you. Mindful Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad, Sage Advice from a Single Father. Um, I wanted a legacy from my dad. He was an extraordinary man who raised me as a single father back in the 60s while struggling with his own addictions. And then during the pandemic, I wrote Book number two in his honor, Daily Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad. So 
some inspiration to guide your days. And this is set up like a journal. Uh, so there's some inspiration every day. And the key is to spend some time to contemplate the message and then write your thoughts and intentions for the day. In my experience, uh, the power of words, very powerful. And the power of the written word can be life transformational. I hope today's episode has offered some insights for you around addiction and recovery and life and helped open up the possibilities for perhaps some more introspection in your life. If you'd like to be a guest on the Red Roof Recovery Show, or if you think you or someone you know might qualify for my residential recovery program, please email me at redroofrecovery.com. And remember, there is great power in knowing that the only thing we can control in our lives is ourselves. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force.